You're listening to This Naked Mind with Annie Grace. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to This Naked Mind podcast, and I'm here with Michelle. Welcome, Michelle. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for for coming on and, and being here. And so why don't you sort of take us back to the beginning in your journey with alcohol? Where did it all start for you? So as I was thinking about the story, it actually goes back to probably when I was in diapers. Um, I think my mom has a picture of either me or my sister dipping back the last drops of, you know, beer from a bottle and uh, sitting on the floor, you know, it was all kind of cute. So I really think that's where my journey started. Both my parents were drinkers. My dad is what you would consider like, quote unquote, an alcoholic back in the day. And my mom was a functioning, uh, high functioning drinker, as far as I can remember. Um, My dad started getting really abusive to my mom. So she ended up leaving and divorcing him when I was nine. My sister was six. And uh, she ended up remarrying when I was about 14 to a really nice gentleman. Alcohol was still prevalent in our family all the way through. Both of my mom and my stepdad drank every day. Um, They actually had pop on the counter for their mix that we weren't allowed to touch. None of us kids were allowed to touch because that was a mix strictly for their Roman Coke. And um, yeah, they were pretty open with alcohol, probably more than anything else. My mom actually told me when we were getting into our teenage years, I started drinking when I was about 14, 15 maybe. And she said that she would rather me drink alcohol, like take up drinking than take up smoking. So Mm. I did both because you know, (laughs) that's the way. And she actually uh, condoned parties at our place. So I live in a rural community, farming community. And so we had a lot of house parties in the winter at our place because my mom just wanted to make sure that we were safe and, you know, that she knew she was kind of in control that way of of what us kids were doing. So our place was kind of the party place uh, in the winter. And then in the summer, it was the tailgate parties, the parties out in the bush, you know, bush parties, field parties, that kind of thing. So I basically binge drank through my whole teenage years, Um, was always the happy-go-lucky party gal, you know, a real fun alcoholic is if what I classified myself back then or a fun drinker. Um, Anyway, so I ended up marrying a guy, a farmer from the area, and we moved away shortly after that to another province and we got uh, jobs hauling logs. So I don't know if you know anything about the logging industry, but it's It's extremely back in the day, you know, this is going back to my early 20s and I'm 50 now, but back in the day, it was very rough. And, you know, you play hard, you work hard, you work hard all weekend or all week. And then all weekend, you just party and drink. So kind of like keeping up with the boys, really. Mm. And um, yeah, so then we after that, we ended up going long haul. So that would be uh, driving truck across Canada and the States. And so my drinking kind of just took a back seat. I don't remember much like drinking much during those those few years. And then we ended up buying a piece of property and um, started farming. And it was around that time. Well, actually, during the time that we were chucking that my uh, dad, who was the alcoholic, ended up committing suicide. Mm. So he was extremely intoxicated. And um, yeah, he just ended up committing suicide. So It was always in the back of my mind, like, am I going to be that type of drinker? Is this, you know, from what I remember, is it was, it was hereditary. It was a thing that, you you know, it was a gene that you got or you either didn't get. And so 
knowing that my dad was an alcoholic and then had this end to his life, I, that was always in the back of my mind. So anyway, I kind of justified um, my drinking just because I didn't have any, like I didn't have any of those tendencies to want to commit suicide. I, I didn't have any of those thoughts in my head. And I was happy-go-lucky. Like I was one of those happy drunks where my dad was a little more um, abusive, obviously. So anyway, um, we purchased some land and started farming in that province. And we settled down, had our kids. I started attending a church and just really felt that alcohol wasn't, didn't need to be a part of my life at that time. And so we ended up having two kids, a boy and a girl. And um, yeah, that whole 10 years was basically just raising kids. My daughter was about four years old. We ended up leaving that church and I got into another group uh, of friends, very lovely people, and they drank. And so this kind of gave me the permission that I could drink as well. And so um, I started toying around with that idea and started, started participating in it. And then I got my drink, which was wine. So my motto was, I drink white in, in the summer and I drink red in the winter. And then it kind of started becoming my identity. Yeah, I ended up right in the beginning when I started toying with, with alcohol, we went out for New Year's Eve and I, one of my friends ended up feeding me alcohol that was a little too strong. The, the drink was too strong. And I got so drunk. I got, I got so intoxicated and we ended up driving home. And the next day I, I was so sick that night. And then the next day I couldn't even get out of bed. Well, my kids had never known us to drink, like never known me to drink anyway. And I remember we used to live in this little bungalow and I remember hearing like the normal noises, you know, that would happen on a Sunday, like my husband cooking pancakes and my kids kind of running around and I literally could not get out of bed. And I just remember thinking so clearly, I, I can never relive this day. I'm, I'm regretting what I did last night because I will never get my kids to this stage, you know, this day with my kids again, I was mortified. Anyway, makes me a little bit, a little bit teary. Um, and I mean, the sad part is that happened so many more times. Um, it just became a point where, you know, as all the stories that, that your guests have said, it just became more and more. So then it was like Friday and Saturday, and then it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then it's wine Wednesday. And, oh, why not have a, you know, a drink on Monday? And it just became more and more. And because we were farmers, it, we didn't really have a set schedule. So there was no getting up at a certain time, you know, eight o'clock every morning, we had to leave the house. So it really lent to this type of lifestyle, to be quite honest, because I could, I didn't always have to get up early our kids we homeschooled our kids so that wasn't even an issue to get them off to the bus and um anyway so through this you know through my whole adult life I had always worked out and did cleanses and always tried to be healthy so I had done 30-day bouts with no alcohol I'd done 30-day bouts of no sugar you know 40-day vegetarian cleanse like all these things so I wasn't I wasn't a stranger to um I would call it actually binging and purging alcohol, you know, going for stretches without it. Um, fast forward to a few more years, 20 years, actually, we lived in that province. And then we ended up moving back to the province, to our home province, and coming back to the very same area that my husband had grown up in, which was just outside of the town that I grew up in. And um, we came home and, and all those neurological pathways of drinking came back because we had the familiarity of the friends, the familiarity of the family. And we literally 
partied like it was 1999. Like we were just like every weekend and, you know, it was, it was, I mean, it was fun, but it was insane. And uh, I have a funny story about that. We had come home from the city. We did this big grocery shop because we live about an hour and a half away from the city. So we did this big grocery shop. We came home, it was summertime, lit this fire outside and I cracked a bottle of wine and didn't really feel like supper. There was quite a few times I actually didn't eat supper if I was drinking and had a few strawberries. We sat around the fire and, you know, one by one, everybody's going to bed and pretty soon it's just me sitting around the fire by myself and it's dark out and we have this, um, oh, it's a culvert and we put all of our wood in this culvert that has holes in the bottom so the air can get through. And so anyway, the fire was, you know, pretty much coals at this point and I had the crossover drink. I don't know if you know what the crossover drink is. But I've heard that term. <laughs> It's like you can be in this, this drunk that you just feel really, really good and you're just skimming along and then you just have that one gulp and you oh, are yeah. it's like titration, like all of a sudden the room starts spinning and you're like, whoa, that was way too much. Yeah, that was my crossover drink. And so at that point, I, um, I was all by myself and I laid down around around this, this culvert, like around our fire. And I was so drunk, I literally couldn't move. Like I, I was yeah, and I knew I was going to be sick. So it's dark out and it's it's a little bit cool, but I had a jacket on and I could hear these coyotes in the background. And I felt like, I, you know, it could have been my imagination, but if they felt really close and I thought, I'm going to die. I am going to die. I, like it was the day before Father's Day and I thought my kids aren't, you know, are going to come out and they're going to find my ass shoot out by a coyote. So anyway, um, so mentally in my mind, I just thought, okay, all I have to do is get into the house. And there was a, an ash pail. We have a wood stove in the house and there was an ash pail just around the door on the inside. And I thought if I could just run in there really quick and just grab this ash pail and go lay down on the couch. I'll be fine. Well, that's what I ended up doing. I came in and then I was sick and uh, sick the next day for father's day. And which wasn't one of my better moments either, because I'd invited a whole bunch of family members over to my in-laws place and I couldn't even go because mm. I was so sick that day I think I ended up going maybe maybe later on uh later on that night or whatever but it was kind of embarrassing actually so all of these things just kept happening you know the three you know just got worse the three in the morning wake-ups the not being able to sleep the fight in my mind of you know I, I really want to quit but I don't really want to quit and at this point actually almost to the end, I didn't tell or share with anybody how bad it was. Cause I thought, you know, if I admit it, it's real. Yeah. You know, if I keep, if I keep it in then then I can, I can somewhat control it. So, um, yeah, lack of energy and, and of course we're farmers, so there's, there's no having to be on or, you know, um, you know, go to a place of work necessarily. Um, anyway, my future started to look pretty bleak. So mm -hmm. I just thought, I'm just going to keep drinking. I'm almost going to be an empty nester here. And this is just going to be our life. Me and my husband are just going to sit around and drink, <laughs> which is pretty sad. <laughs> um, I kind of actually thought at one point that I was going to be that drunk, happy grandma when we had grandkids. Yeah. I was, um, I was waking up at three in the morning and actually the, the thought of my dad went through my head quite often at this point because 
I would roll over and I would always keep a glass of water by bed and I would, I would have to grab it with both my hands and my hands would just be shaking and I would try and lift it to my mouth to drink that water. And then of course I would drink and then I would drink the water and then I couldn't get back to sleep. And then I wouldn't get to sleep until six in the morning and just that whole cycle. Anyway, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so uh, I work as a bookkeeper part-time at a small town here, small town shop. And my boss there was doing a challenge called the 75 heart. And so he had been sharing with me uh, the end of 2021. So it would have been around September, him and his wife started doing this 75 heart. And he knew that I worked out and had worked out my, you know, pretty much my whole life. And so he was sharing with me. I said, oh, that sounds great. You know, there's five things that you have to do. I don't know. I can't remember them all right now, but one of them was no drinking alcohol. And so I told him, well, that's just a non-negotiable for me. Like I can do the other four things, but I'm definitely not going to quit alcohol. He's like, mm, okay, whatever. So from September to December, I uh, drank more and more and more. And I would kind of joke around about it. Like, oh man, I'm just drinking too much. You know, this Christmas has got, gotten a, gotten the better of me or whatever. And so leading up to the end of December, I decided January 1st, you know, everybody does a refresh or a New Year's resolution and the whole quitting alcohol for 30 days wasn't a strange concept to me. And I'd done it before, but I thought, you know what I need? I need more time. That's what I need. I need more time to stop drinking. If I just quit long enough, then it's going to help me. So, um, so I thought four months, I'll go four months without drinking. And that should do the trick. And then I can be quote unquote normal. Along this time, while I was on the 75 hard challenge, I started noticing how many times I talked about wine or thought about wine. So I, I had quit, but I was white knuckling through it. Like I was, I couldn't wait until that celebratory uh, supper that we were going to have. It ended up being Mother's Day was my 75, my 75 days. And so all I kept thinking about was wine and I kept you know, substituting in soda water while I was on the 75 heart challenge and, and uh, basically fantasizing about it, which is pretty sad. So finished the challenge, we go out for Mother's Day, go out for supper, and I just picked up drinking right where I left off. And all of my tolerance was the same. Like I, I picked up to drinking a bottle of wine a day again, like nothing changed. Um, while I was in the 75 hard challenge, we actually had a Facebook group, a support group. And there was lots of people on there who were saying that they had quit drinking for good. And in the comments, how did you do it? How did you do it? How did you do it? And I bet you 95% of the time your book got brought up. Okay. And so at that moment, while I was in the challenge, I'm like, I don't want to quit. Like this isn't, I don't, I don't need that. And there's no way that it's a magic pill. I remember thinking that there's no way that these people, it's, it's baloney. They've got something else. They've got something different. The people who were saying that your book was amazing. I'm like, no, there's no way this is a magic pill. It's a trick. It's a trick to get me to buy their book <laughs> is what I thought. I love anyway. That. Um, so uh, where are we next? Okay. So after 75 hard, I picked up drinking and um trying to think of what happened oh so then i i bought your book i actually did buy your book after i had uh finished the challenge and i remember sitting on my couch and we've got an open concept house and so i was sitting on the couch and my husband was at the kitchen table and i had a big glass of wine and i cracked open your book and i think right at the beginning it said you said something 
to the effect of, well, don't try quitting drinking. And I lifted my glass to my husband and I said, woohoo, <laughs> she <laughs> said we don't have to quit. <laughs> so I read your book and none of it sank in. I must have read it drunk, quite honestly. Um, so this is leading now into the summer and we had made uh, plans with our friends to go on a wine tour uh, in the Okanagan in BC. It's a beautiful place. It had been on my bucket list for years. And so we had made this plan the year before. Well, as I'm leading into summer, like May and June, I am drinking like crazy. Like it's now it's gardening season. So I started drinking earlier and I started drinking coolers earlier because of course you can't have wine at 11 o'clock, but a cooler sounds pretty cool. And so leading into this, uh, we went on our wine tour the end of June, beginning of July and um, went on this wine tour, had a really great time, but just really feeling disgusted with myself, like how much I was drinking. And uh, I just knew things had to change. So the end of August comes along or August, and I had been listening to your podcasts, which were a lifesaver. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. They are, I knew enough about my, about subconscious mind and retraining your mind that I thought, okay, I, I white knuckled it. I did the 40 days. I've done lots of 30 days. You just need to change your mind. So I thought I am going to binge listen to your podcast until I just get it. I knew I had to get it from the inside out. I knew I couldn't white knuckle it. It couldn't come from the outside in. I knew I had to have a paradigm shift inside. So I started listening to your podcast and here where we live, um, combining season starts around the beginning of September. And so I was in the combine and I just, I just plugged my, my earbuds in and, and it was you and me and your guests in that combine for the whole season and I'm emotional because it was just it was life-changing so at this point I um I didn't tell anybody really what what I was like that I'd really quit or anything um because I just felt like it was such a tender thing you know it was so close to my heart and I didn't want anybody to ruin it I didn't want anybody to pop the bubble I don't know how else to say it. I just felt like it was such a, a tender thing. And like when I've been through things before that changed my life, I shelter from the rooftops. Like I'm on Facebook and, you know, try this and try that. And this, this time, Annie, it just, I just, I wanted it. I wanted it to be real. Yeah. I wanted it to be real. So I ended up quitting on um, August 21st, 2022. I remember I called my sister and I confessed to her. I had an honest conversation with her and I said, I'm done. I am so sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. And um, I, I almost felt that something, I felt like my body sighed with relief. I felt like, like it was, it was saying, thank you. I've been trying to tell you this for years and years and years and you just weren't listening. And uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, I quit that day. And of course, like I said, we went, I went through harvest and I didn't really, I don't even think I told my husband for a while, um, just because we were busy anyway. And um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was an amazing time. Now it's been 17 months. Um, I don't, I don't miss it at all. I had signed up for your 30 day, actually both my sister and I signed up for your um, 30 day alcohol experiment. And uh, I went through that and then I signed up for the path. And it just, uh, it just, I'd already made up my mind. Like, I, I just felt like, I, I felt like, I don't know how to explain it, but I just felt like I was done. I didn't need any more reiteration. So 
I thank you for, I, I asked for a refund. I think I paid for the path and then ended up, um, you guys refunded me money, um, which I appreciate because <laughs> you were so true to your word. And I had already been through the 30 days and just felt like it was already solidified in inside. And, you know, it's, I still have wine to this day from our wine tour and, and it sits on my shelf, you know, before I used to have to purge everything and binge and get rid of everything because I didn't want to be tempted. And anyway, it's still here. I still, you know, I still offer wine to people that come over, friends that come over and yeah. Anyway, that was a little more emotional than I expected. I just love this. So my husband's family is farmers and we go visit like their fields and South Dakota and like just this image of you in the combine like it got me too I was like oh I love this it's just like amazing um how special like what a just I'm just gonna hold that with me for a very long time I think so thank you for sharing that it's just really incredible and also Michelle this idea of you knowing that you needed a paradigm shift you know you you needed a rewiring you needed a like a big fat reset, not just like, you know, it, it's so, um, it's amazing when somebody just knows what's true for them and then, and then follows the thread, right? Like pulls, pulls the thread to, to find that next right thing. I just absolutely love that. Love that. So how has it been for you socially? Uh, socially, it's been fine. I mean, the friends that I have now drink and some of them ask questions and some of them didn't, um, my family, like my family supportive, my daughter and my, and my son's moved out now. My daughter's still at home, but she was so excited uh, for me. And my husband was, you know, supportive. And I don't think he realized the magnitude of, of what I was going through, to be honest. So I, I don't think it was as life-changing for him because it's not like we had fought and we had this tumultuous, you know, relationship. So but yeah, socially, I actually did a few experiments after, uh, went out for, so my big thing is to go out for a nice supper and have a nice steak and, and have wine basically. So I bought this alcohol free wine after harvest, actually that same harvest that I had binge listened to your podcast. We, um, went out for supper and, and I was, I brought this wine, paid the corking fee and thought, I'm just, I just heard your voice in my head. I'm just gonna I'm just going to be curious about this. And if I end up having a real glass of wine, then that's what it is. And this is my trigger. And we have to go back to, you know, rewiring my brain again. So the gentleman, the server corked the wine and poured it just like real wine. And you know what? It's, it's the holding the glass with the red liquid in my hand that, that, that not triggers me. It gives me that dopamine hit. I don't need the wine. It's this. (laughs) And it's, It's the environment of the music and the, the fellowship and you know so that that's what it was which is which is huge for me moving forward because now I if I feel like it I can have that red liquid in a glass and have you know my family or friends around and and it's much more enjoyable the next day I mean you know even I can when I think you know I have missed it the odd time you know alcohol is a very good friend and and I and I feel like it served its purpose for, for the time that I needed, right? Yeah. It served its purpose for, you know, whatever, ignoring, ignoring certain feelings or, or biding by time or enjoying, you know, whatever it is, but you know, it's good until it's not. Yeah. 
And um, yeah, anyway. I really like that perspective. I mean, I feel like that idea, there's so many things, if you consider the entirety, entirety of like, if you consider the entirety of our lives, right? There's so many things that we did and we outgrew. Like it was something we used to do. You know what I mean? Like I used to talk on the phone all the time to my girlfriends, like literally nonstop, probably from the age of 12 to the age of 29. <laughs> I just don't do that anymore. And it's not that, you know, that served me. That was important at the, at the time, you know, I used to, um, you know, well, I used to drink and now I don't. And, and it's, it's so freeing to look at it that way of like, yeah, it's just something I used to do. And it doesn't have to be yeah, so so dramatic in that way. I mean, sometimes obviously it is, but like it's it really for me shows, you know, when the shift has really taken place, it you do hold it looser um, than kind of the intensity around it. So it's really neat. I also feel like, you know, I had to go through a mourning process. So I had to mourn that friend and the fact that she used to be so near and dear to my heart and now she's not. She's very mm -hmm. toxic actually. And so I, I went through a mourning process and um, that's kind of huge. And sometimes I still do miss it. And when I go through in my mind, the steps of the drinking, if I were to, if I were to have a drink, um, I, I can taste that morning taste in, in my mouth. You know that I, I call it hot breath after you've had a, a, a bottle of wine <laughs> the night before and you wake up and it's like, it's almost like if you could see it, it would be like a cartoon of green fog that's coming out of your mouth and I can taste that taste and it just immediately uh, the the feeling goes away for me anyway yeah it just use your consciousness to sort of say like okay um, how will this end not how is it going to start right like how will it end because it's yeah that's that's really cool it's really cool well this has just been awesome so Michelle let me ask you uh the question that I ask at the end of these which is if you were going to go back in time and talk to the girl maybe who was really like, <laughs> there's no way that, you know, they just trying to get me to buy the book in this group, the 75 hard group, or maybe even the one that just felt like she was going to be the drunk grandmother. And that's just how life was going to be. Um, and you were going to tell her about what life is like today. What would you say? I feel like it went from black and white to technicolor. Hmm. And I also feel like I would tell her, you're going to have so much time. I mean, the, the time that goes into drinking and planning drinking and drinking and being hungover is ridiculous and exhaustive. And so I would tell her, you, you're going to have so much time and you're going to have so much clarity. And, and Michelle, you've been through changes before. You've been through um, paradigm shifts in the past. And this is just another one. That's all it is. The, the thing that you think is going to be, or the thing that you think is your ceiling is actually now going to be your floor. Mm. That's what I tell her. And, and, and yeah, to trust the, just keep going, keep trusting the process. And, and the number one word is curiosity. Just be curious about everything. Don't be judgy. Just be curious. How is this going to feel? How is this going to impact me um, as you're going through the process? That's what I tell her. Oh, well, it's, it's so cool because like, in the past specifically, when, you know, I, I coach in there myself once a month and it is the differentiator. If somebody can, the it's like, it's, I'm like, it's not about the drinking. It is, but it's not. But if you can do this one thing, which is hold yourself with compassion 
which allows for curiosity. Like if you can do that and you can just keep doing that, you will wake up to who you really want, what you really want for yourself. And what you really want for yourself is going to be aligned with why you're here in the first place. But that, that shift, that internal shift is it's so simple, but so difficult for people because it's so wired into our psychology collectively that in order to change something, we're going to have to do it the hard way. We're going to have to deprive ourselves. We're going to have to make it about difficulties. We're going to have to beat ourselves up. We have to, it, there's no way it can feel, it, people say it feels like cheating. It feels like cheating if I keep letting myself off the hook. It feels like cheating if I if I just prioritize curiosity and don't even, you know. And so um, it's very cool for me to hear that you just stuck to that principle because that is the game changer more than anything else. It will, no matter how long it takes, it will ultimately, you can stay there if you can stay in that curiosity because you really will come to know that, you know, like, the intention for an alcohol-free life is the intention we have for ourselves, which is to be happy, to be, to feel joyful, to feel like you said life isn't technicolor. And we're so certain that can't happen, that there's some catch, right? That there's some need to just uh, beat ourselves up instead of staying curious because you cannot maintain those two things at the same time. You cannot judge yourself for your drinking and stay curious. As soon as you've judged yourself, curiosity is killed. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's amazing. I also wanted to mention, um, when I was listening to the podcast, <laughs> all your guests were talking about the book and all these scientific things. I, I didn't think I read the same book. I <laughs> actually, because I didn't remember the book and I thought, what are these guys talking about? Like the pitcher plant one. And so, so I actually went and bought a couple of box sets because I was going to give one away and reread the book. I don't remember reading. I don't remember reading it. I just remember that first part when you said, you don't have to stop, you know, you don't have to try quit, quitting drinking. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Well, one of my goals for this podcast and and really even my YouTube channel, my Instagram and everything would be that somebody could find freedom just with the podcast. And so the fact that that's true um, really makes me happy. That's great. It's very cool. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you for being on and, and thank you for sharing your story. It's been a real joy to get to know you. Thanks, Annie. You are just a godsend, really. It's, yeah, it's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you're ready to see how This Naked Mind can help you on your personal health and wellness journey and want to learn more, go to thisnakedmindpodcast.com to learn what your next best step is. Again, that's thisnakedmindpodcast.com. We have all of our free resources, programs, social links, and more available for you there. Plus, if you have your own naked life story to share, you can submit it there as well. Until next week, stay curious.